0: It's really just all about creating high quality content um, and doing that at scale and doing it repeatedly.
1: Hey everyone this is Prashant and I'll be host of the VC to the next podcast and today we have Nick Tipman with us Nick is a vertical SaaS investor and advisor he's also an LP in several VC funds previously Nick was CMO at Greenlight Guru where he led marketing efforts from $0 to tens of millions of dollars in annual recurring revenue while bootstrapping in this episode we talk about the growth story of Greenlight Guru how to leverage SEO as a growth channel, how much work does it take to put SEO to work, how long do you have to wait to start seeing results from SEO, how startups should think about their GTM approach, what makes him excited about the vertical SaaS opportunity, how he evaluates startups and VC firms before investing in them, how does he keep track of his several investments and so much more. So without wasting any time, let's dive straight in. Hey, Nick. So good to have you on the VC10X podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Prashant. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure having you on. To start things off, can we first have your story of having spent eight plus years at Greenlight Guru, where you went from $0 in ARR to you know, bootstrapping it to tens of millions of year and then ultimately raising, uh, $120 million from GMI equity. So can you walk us through that, that entire journey and the different stages of growth and how you tackle that?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, it was, a uh, a, a journey, uh, that's for sure. Lots of ups and downs, uh, a great learning experience. I don't know if I have time to, to take you through the whole journey, but I'll, I'll try to chop up some of the different, different sections. I mean, uh, when we started out, like you mentioned, we we bootstrapped starting from zero. Uh, in the early stages, it was really just all about finding product market fit, um, which meant finding our, our first few customers, uh, our, our founder, John Spear, um, originally had the idea, A medical device engineer had lived and felt the problem for, for many, many years, came together with David Durham, our CEO and co-founder, um, and, and really figured out what are the, these first customers, what are their pain points, um, and building that initial solution. Uh, once we kind of got those first handful of customers in, in place and just doing what you can to get them in, founder selling, referrals, uh, what whatnot, Um, Then it was really, once we felt good about that, it was about finding our our first channel to scale. Um, And then that was really about putting in place a scalable sales and marketing engine. Uh, In the the early days, we invested heavily in content marketing, thought leadership and SEO, Um, really had an organic uh, content driven growth engine in the early days. then really got that humming and, and over time, uh, looked to, to refine our customer acquisition channels and add some additional channels. And uh, once we kind of got past that, that first product and first channel phase, it was really about moving into that hyper growth phase and then really all about uh, moving and aligning the, the organization more around customer success now. And so um, really having making sure that your, your product's getting recurring value, um, you're expanding into new markets um, and need to make sure that your customers are happy, especially with a, with a vertical SaaS solution um, because your, your TAM or the number of customers, your ideal customer profile that you can reach out to is, is capped by the, by the nature of being a vertical SaaS, so really important um, once we got to some meaningful scale to really put that focus on the customer success side of things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a very interesting story. And we'll dive into different aspects of that story as we go on in this conversation. Um, but first, like uh, when you were starting out this journey, it's a new company. So what was the way wherein you acquired some new users? You mentioned SEO, but from what I've learned, SEO takes some time to kick in, right? So how did you get those first customers in?
0: Yeah. So something that, that I like to say uh, that I learned from a mentor of mine many, many years ago is that brand builds everything over time. Um, and so really at its core, there's only two types of marketing, like direct marketing or brand marketing, um, direct marketing, meaning you're trying to get someone to, to take an action, to download something, request a demo, buy, buy your software. Um, whereas on the brand side, you're more trying to uh, manage perceptions. Uh, in the early days, you don't have a brand. So really, all you got is direct marketing. Um, and that can come in many different flavors, cold outbound, referrals, founder selling like, like I mentioned. Um, but over time, you really want to build that brand to be able to attract people to you. And that's where the thought leadership, the organic, the SEO, the content marketing comes into play. And so we, we had to do that founder selling that the things that don't scale in the early days to kind of get those first handful of customers. But really uh, from the very beginning, early days of Greenlight Guru, we, we decided to invest heavily in content marketing and in thought leadership. Um, it was actually one of the original insights that we had looking at the market and looking at the competition is that there was no one doing any online modern digital marketing um, in the space and thought that we really had an opportunity to lean into that and so yeah you are correct that it takes some time uh, to get it going but while we were pre-product pre-revenue or kind of in our design customer phase we were already working on our content strategy and, and building that community in the early days.
1: Yeah yeah that's very awesome the way you approached it and another another concept you mentioned is of vertical SaaS and, and you've written quite a lot on the topic as well uh, so would love to know like what makes you so uh, excited about the vertical SaaS, entire ecosystem, uh, and also in comparison with horizontal SaaS, if you could tell us.
0: Yeah, for sure. So vertical SaaS is, has been interesting. I, I, I truly believe that it is the ultimate business model uh, at the end of the day. So vertical SaaS companies versus horizontal uh, SaaS companies are, are more capital efficient. Um, they have lower customer acquisition costs because they grow from word of mouth. You can upsell. Um, they they have great retention. Their customers are sticky. Um, they become system of records, system of engagements. They have low churn rates, um, and, and they're they're capital efficient too um, in, in scaling. They on average take uh, only about fifty five percent of the amount of capital to go to IPO of the average vertical SaaS company versus horizontal SaaS company. Um, So founders, early investors uh, end up with more more ownership stake. Um, But really, uh, what's kind of changed over the last call it two or three years has been a business model innovation Um, That's really made vertical SaaS even more attractive and and even more of a a bigger trend uh, that you're seeing in the ecosystem these days. And um, that's really what some of the early vertical SaaS winners and pioneers like Toast and Shopify and MindBody and Service Titan figured out, which is that you can layer on these fintech solutions, whether that's with payments, payroll, insurance, um, working capital, financing, whatnot. Um, and anywhere from two to five X, the TAM, uh, that you're going after. And so, uh, as you mentioned, Greenlight Guru was a, a vertical SaaS for the med device industry. And we, we did bootstrap for the first seven years or so of the company, um, partly, uh, by choice, but also partly driven by market conditions. And so when we went out to, to raise our, our series A and, um, Probably 2006 or 2016 timeframe or so. Um, The conventional wisdom in VC land was that vertical SaaS teams were too small to support venture-backed outcomes, and so we really weren't able to to come to terms with any investors at at kind of terms that that we were interested in, and decided to to end up bootstrapping instead. But. like I mentioned, those companies have really figured this out in the last couple of years, and the, and the VCs have, have turned on to this as well, is that now those TAMs that were previously too small are now 2 to 5x bigger, and so there's a lot of venture dollars chasing a lot of new verticals and a lot of new markets that previously were thought to be too small.
1: Yeah, absolutely, totally agreed. Uh, and that's again one interesting point that I want to talk about is like bootstrapping and not bootstrapping. Glad you cleared that out. What was the reason behind that? Uh, so more of a decision that's driven by compulsion and market dece- market conditions that made you do that. But but you do that did that quite well. Uh, kudos to that. And uh, now also talking about uh, GTM, go to market. That's something uh, that you advise a lot of startups on, and you're also invested in VC funds that have specific focus there in helping startups build their go-to-market strategies. So would love your uh, perspective on go-to-market and how you think startups should approach it.
0: Yeah, this is a a big question. So I was a CMO, head of of marketing at at Greenlight Guru and wore many, many hats and built and led many departments and functions and whatnot over the years. And um, I, I think this is probably the... The dreaded but uh, common answer of it depends. Uh, I don't know that there's a, a one size fits all when it comes to to B two B SaaS, but I do think there's a process um, and a framework that you can go about to get to the the correct go to market strategy for your company, uh, given on given your context, and that really comes down to understanding your ideal customer profile um, and and what their what their pain points are. Um, and you really need to think about your sale too. Is it a complex sale? Is it a transactional sale? Um, who are your target customer segments? Are you going after SMBs? Are you going after enterprise? What's the competitive landscape look like? Are you going after a green field? Are you, are, is it a rip and replace type of sale? Um, all of these different kind of contexts or decisions, um, would go into, to come up with the different strategies. Um, but really, at the, at the highest level, when you are thinking about those different uh, go-to-market strategies in your demand channel, uh, I do like to simplify things and really look at it as there's really only three top-level channels of all demand, and that's inbound, outbound, and partnerships, um, or some combination of those. And when you're, when you're really just getting started, like I mentioned Greenlight Guru's case, uh, I really think it is best practice to, to choose one of those channels and really go deep on it. Um, And I'm not saying like do an experiment for a couple of weeks and figure out and maybe throw away, like you said, the organic or SEO after maybe two months, you might think it's not working, but uh, you didn't stick with it long enough. After six, 12 months, you would have been reaping the the rewards. And so uh, I really recommend to early stage founders to pick one of the channels that is most likely to be successful for you based on the context. Of those different things like your ICP, pain points, complexity of sale and whatnot. Um, and then give it at least six months um, to go really deep on that channel and to experiment, iterate, and give it time to mature and work on the channel before you, you give up or move on. Um, or <clears throat> in the, uh, the, the hopeful case or the, 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 the positive side of things that you do get the channel figured out and you are able to get the results that you're looking for. And then at that point, you can move away from your experimentation mode and more into uh, a scale mode and start to look at what is that next potential channel for you to to, to scale or to grow.
1: Absolutely. I, I recently had Liz Christo from stage two capital on the podcast, and you're also an LP in that fund. And she 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 had a similar answer to how founders should approach it. And, and uh, about SEO, you know, what I've seen, what I've observed, maybe my sample set is too small for it, but when I've seen uh, bootstrapped companies achieve great scale and I've always found that they have built it on top of SEO, right? So that's mm-hmm. very interesting. So uh, would, would love for you to go more deeper into this specific uh, growth channel that's SEO and how how you think about it. Is it just the content? Is it backlinking? What all different aspects are there to it?
0: Yeah, I think... People can get wrapped up in the weeds of SEO really, really easily. Um, I, I like to really simplify things and, and break it down. Like it's really just all about creating high quality content um, and doing that at scale and doing it repeatedly. That's that's the hard part is to keep the quality high while also increasing the quantity and being able to to scale it. Um, <clears throat> I also uh think that a lot of people um don't put a lot of value in SEO content. They think it is just about the backlinks and the keywords and the the your linking strategy and your on page SEO and they get wrapped up in, in all of this stuff. But really at the end of the day, your SEO should be your thought leadership. And I think that's something that we did really well at Greenlight Guru. Um with my, my partner in crime, John Spear and the, the team over there. Um, but making sure that you really are putting out true thought leadership that is differentiated and opinionated and has a point of view, and then weave that into your SEO articles so that when people are landing on your site and they're reading your articles, um, they're not just getting a one-on-one overview of design controls for medical devices but they're getting Greenlight Guru's point of view on how you should uh, best practices to manage your design controls in the med device industry. And then, oh, by the way, we just so happened to build a software platform that's specifically built for companies like you that automates this whole process. Um, If you're interested, click here and we'll tell you more to get a demo. Um, And so I, I think you have to be a little more clever with it and understand it's the convergence of a, a lot of things coming together. And it's not just creating this dictionary type content that says like, what's the definition of a bunch of terms for you. Um, and I think that's where people maybe get it mixed up or, or get it wrong. And, um, and yeah, I, I think there, there's a lot of misconceptions around it, but to your point. When you look and you kind of peel back the curtains behind a lot of these bootstrap success stories that you hear about, um, it's the ones that figured out SEO and or some other low CAC uh, channel, but more often than not, eight times out of 10, that ends up being SEO and these companies end up having some sort of distribution advantage.
1: Absolutely, totally agree. And uh, to give our audience a little more practical sense, if they want to put it to practice, what's the number of uh, articles or blog posts they should be targeting on a per month basis, given that the quality is also maintained and it's top notch? What's the number of blog posts and in how many months they should be expecting to see some sort of movement in terms of results?
0: Yeah, so, um, for your audience, let's just say that you're between call it one and 5 million, um, in, in ARR, um, I I think when you're starting out, like a good cadence is to be able to publish one long form blog post a week. Um, and when I say long, like somewhere between call it 1200 to 2,500 words. Um, but at a higher level, you really want to make sure that you have your strategy, correct. Um, this is kind of like aim twice, shoot once type of deal. Um, there's a, a pretty common uh, and well-known strategy at this point called the hub and spoke SEO strategy. And it revolves around uh, your top level keyword. We'll use Greenlight Guru as an example. Like design controls as the top level keyword as the hub piece. And that's where you create your ultimate guide, your really long form. And then you want to create a bunch of sub or spoke pieces that are related to that. That might be like common mistakes with design controls or five best practices with design controls or how ABC medical use design controls to get their product to market faster. Um, And then you want to link all of those together through your internal linking and that will help raise that internal, that kind of short form uh, high competition, hard to rank for keyword, uh, make it more likely for that to to rank. Um, But in in general, um, it depends on the domain rank of your website on how fast you should be able to to see results. Um, In the early days, if you have a low domain rank and you're just getting started and you're creating one of those hub pieces, you should start to be able to see it rank within 30 days of of publishing it on Google. It's not going to be at its ultimate escape velocity. It'll continue to grow over 6, 12, 18 months. But you'll you'll be able to see the beginnings of that working. Um, And then you just want to keep layering on new content that you kind of layer on. And that's how you end up growing over time. And so I'd say have a strategy. Use the hub and spoke strategy. Try to focus on getting at least one piece of content out uh, a week and one hub piece out a quarter. Um, and then you really want to, like we said, give it at least six months of doing that cadence before you say one way or another whether or not uh, it's working.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's super insightful and will be helpful for many. Uh, and now shifting gears uh, to... The investing side of things now you have turned an investor so would love to first know uh, when you're investing directly in startups what's your approach what are the kind of things you're looking at uh, in in these startups
0: yeah so right off the jump the the top thing well, i guess uh before i get into that i'll kind of say i've been been angel investing for uh, almost three years now um and I've learned a lot over that time, uh, made, made a, a decent amount of investments, um, taking a strategy of being very diversified, a lot of small checks. Um, I've actually written checks in over 100 companies in the, the three years at this point. Um, but I've learned a lot uh, along, that, along that time. And so uh, when I first started out, it was pretty general. Um, just uh, anything, any industry, market, uh, business model, um, but really over time and, and especially over the last year, or so I've really honed in my focus and my thesis around vertical SaaS and uh what I like to call these vertical SaaS plus companies. That's SaaS plus FinTech, SAS plus marketplace, SaaS plus AI, um, whatever it is. Um and so that's really helped me uh refine the criteria and uh get get better and Um, apply a more uh, holistic or standardized approach to looking at the deals and how I'm um, uh, judging or doing diligence or looking at the criteria. So uh, all that to be said, in these vertical SaaS companies, I'm I'm typically investing at at a pretty early stage, uh, pre-seed, seed. seed. Um, So these are companies with uh, a product, maybe some revenue, a a little bit of traction, but what, what I'm looking for number one foremost in the early day is is the team and, and the founders um, what why why are they tackling this problem? what makes them uniquely qualified? Uh, what unique insights do they have as, as to why the this uh, problem should be solved right now and why their solution is the best solution so really put a lot of time on that founder market fit um, kind of. Uh, I'll call it almost 1B from that with with being vertical SaaS, uh, I guess maybe that's zero, uh, are they a vertical SaaS and then get into the founder market fit and then kind of one that's 1A then 1B uh, is really around the TAM. Uh, and so that's, that's one of the pros and the the cons of vertical SaaS pro. Uh, you have these winner take all dynamics where someone like Viva can have 60% of the life science CRM market where someone like Salesforce only has 30 still at this scale to today and the, the size that they are. Um, uh, and, and then the the other uh, aspect of, of what I'm looking for, oh, the winner take all dynamics, that's the positive, but then on the negative side, there are also a limited TAM of how big the potential TAM that you're going after. And so um, I'm really looking at what is the problem who are their ideal customer profile? What kind of customer segment? What is their ACV? And can I see a clear path to a $100 million um, ARR business? And and so looking at how many customers are, what's their ACV and and is there a credible path? And then kind of from there, it would be go more into the standard due diligence. But uh, the other point that I'll call out um, specifically with vertical SaaS companies that um, maybe it place a little more emphasis on, particularly at the pre-seed and seed stage than you, do, than you might with other startups or definitely uh, horizontal SaaS companies, just around competition. Um, again, going back to that winner-take-most uh, market dynamic, um, if there is someone that's already kind of in there and already um, has won the control point of being the system of record for that industry, um, you just, you want to be careful because it's kind of that double-edged sword of what makes it such a great business model and why it's so sticky and makes it really hard to to replace. And so looking at the, the competition is really important too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you're also investing in funds. Now you're also a limited partner in VC funds, stage two partners, Kana's, GTM fund to name a few. So how are you evaluating these funds and on what basis you make the decision to deploy in these funds or not?
0: yeah so um as someone that that's came into some liquidity for the first time in their their life over the last couple of years uh something that i've had a lot of fun doing over the last couple of years just learning learning how to how to manage uh money and and what makes investments and um kind of the difference between the mode of uh making money versus kind of uh keeping it or, or uh, 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 preserving it. Um, and again, I think that's different when you look at a personal investment strategy versus maybe a fund in the investment strategies and the portfolio strategies that these emerging managers that I'm investing in uh, take, where there may be more concentrated, higher risk. Whereas with me personally, I'm looking to diversify. So I mentioned the small angel checks across a lot of the companies. Um, one, good diversification, two, great learnings as well, as I, I'm getting into this venture game. Um, but it's very similar with uh, emerging managers as well. Uh, I have this core thesis um, that vertical SaaS companies uh, are going to dominate over the next five to 10 years. They'll continue to take market share away from horizontal companies. Uh, they'll, they'll continue. They're, they're some of the best companies primed to take advantage of the tailwinds with generative AI. And really, all the way back to Mark Andreessen's software is eating the world, like it's still happening, and now AI is only accelerating that. And so, part of that thesis is just looking at who are the top up and coming emerging managers that are investing in that high level thesis of SaaS, early stage SaaS, Gen AI enabled SaaS, um, and yeah, what's their track record? What's their thesis? What makes them uniquely qualified as a manager to go after this thesis? Um, what's their proprietary deal flow or unique access? Um, and really, do, do I like them? Do I trust them? Uh, does this seem like a, a manager, a person that, that I'd like to, to chat with or go to LP meetings for the, the next 10 years? um i think we all realize this venture game is a, a long term game and it's a it's a relationship game as well and um, I, I plan to to be in it uh, for the, the next 10 20 30 40 years as well and so uh, i also see it as a way to to create some relationships and 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 build and and continue to build my network and um, finally the the last thing i'll just say is that when you look at the data too um, it's pretty clear emerging managers outperform established funds uh, which is a, an interesting thing that the common phrase of nobody gets fired for um, by an IBM uh, is kind of what what I've learned is is similar in the institutional LP world um, with these large endowments and foundations where they're back to um, uh, capital preservation um, more than looking at the upside. And so these large multi-stage mega funds make a lot of sense to them. But if you're looking for pure returns and looking for funds that are going to consistently do 3, 5, 10x, um, those are coming from your emerging managers. And so uh, a lot of different factors. And I know that's a long-winded way, but uh, a lot of a lot of different, couple different motivations for investing in these different funds, but then uh, also a couple different ways that I'm looking at and judging and, and making the decisions on too.
1: Certainly, that's that's very insightful. Uh, and now that you're making so, so many investments that are spread across, right? So many small, small angel checks. There are investments in the funds. So, uh, how are these startups reporting to you, and how are you keeping track of all these investments?
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's been, a, been a learning experience, uh, I'll say that. Um, I, I would say I don't have a set schedule per se right now. Um, some founders follow a, a more standard and, and rigid reporting structure, I would say. I don't um, recommend, or I mean, I don't mandate or suggest anything to, to the founders that I work with. I'm not the size check that would get, in, get into that uh, at all. Um, but yeah, like some that I'll get, I get monthly updates from a cohort of them. Uh, there's probably another cohort of founders that we do occasional check-ins. That's ad hoc, maybe every couple months, maybe once a quarter. Um, some that I keep up with more on social and and just emailing back and forth. And some that I, I don't hear from all that much, if I'm being honest. I mean, uh, they really take a, a bunch of different flavors um but i really do like being an active investor uh where i can be and where uh, it makes sense for the the founder um really leaning in uh providing support around that the go-to-market strategies uh around their marketing growth engines uh around connections with with other uh vcs and, and investors so uh a lot of different flavors um but I guess at, at the highest level, it's a it's a pretty manual uh, spreadsheet process on the back end myself as well to, to keep the portfolio straight.
1: Absolutely. Totally agree. And uh, coming to our last main question before we move on to the rapid fire round. And uh, this one is about uh, what's been your biggest learning uh, working in startups and now being an investor in startups for you? Yeah, this is, a, this is a big one. I mean, there's been there's been so many, so many
0: learnings. Um, I I think maybe the the biggest one uh, is like, there's a lot there just kind of like in startups and in life and uh, maybe sports, uh, a lot of things like, there's a lot of ways to win. Um, and there's a lot of ways to succeed. There, there isn't one set strategy. There's why that strategy is right for you, the firm, the company, whatever that is, um, and I, I think maybe the the example that I'll give there is just like we talked about with the small checks and the funds and uh, like the, the importance of diversification, but then also the importance of concentration um, if you're looking for really outsized return. but where where do you want to be on that on that risk risk curve? and um, yeah, I, I think that's been super interesting for me um, just to look at it more formally I uh, uh, will, uh, as well, and then how to to look at a, a holistic portfolio then down to an angel portfolio and and, and like I said, like the the concentric circles uh, around those those different strategies. Um, but I, I think one of the, the other I'll say learnings is uh also just how important continuous learning is. Uh as someone that considers themselves a lifelong entrepreneur and a and a lifelong learner. Um it's just been a ton of fun. Uh like how much I, I'm learning and, and how important it is to stay up with current trends and getting to talk to founders and other investors and and hearing what's working and what isn't and seeing commonalities and patterns across industries. And, um, yeah. So
1: uh, I think it, yeah, there, there's a lot of, lot of flavors, a lot of ways to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. Those are two great learnings out there. I'm sure there are many, but thank you. Thank you for highlighting those two. And now let's do the rapid fire round, wherein I'll ask you five quick questions about the investing that you're doing. So first we'll take it for, So can you answer for both uh, investing into startups and investing into VC firms, right? So you can answer separately for those two, right? So the first one goes, uh, what are the sectors and regions you invest in?
0: Yep, so on the the startup side, uh, early stage, vertical SaaS, uh, pre-seed, seed, seed, uh, post-product, some traction, a little, little revenue. Uh, mainly in the U.S. I would say about 80%, but have done some in LATAM, some in the EU. Um, haven't done an India deal yet, but have seen some interesting deals there. Um, uh, and so, yeah, that, that's what I would say on the on the startup side. On the, the fund side, uh, similar as well. I, I think the funds that I look at look a lot like seed stage startups, uh, emerging managers. Um, I think all my funds have been fund one or fund two, um, funds that, like I said, have a, a unique approach, uh, writing smaller collaborative checks, uh, alongside other leading investors. Yeah. M- and mainly B2B SaaS.
1: Got it. Uh, next one is about, uh, what's the typical stage of investment? I think you already answered that PC and C, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. And, uh, what's the typical check size you put in? yeah
0: so on the, the angel investment front um, typically about five to, to 15k um, de, depending um, and then uh, on the on the fund fund size uh, typically probably uh, around a, a hundred to a couple hundred k um, commitments uh, as well so yeah
1: okay that's great and uh, where can founders or maybe fund managers reach you in case you prefer them reaching directly yeah would would love to chat love to talk with uh, any vertical
0: saas founders out there also other other investors angels that that look at vertical saas deals um but the best way to find me right now is is on linkedin um uh, just go on there search my name nick tipman uh i'm on on twitter as well at ntitman. Um, but those are the probably best way. And then uh, you can also reach out via via email. Uh, I respond to, to cold emails, uh, welcome cold, cold emails. So feel free to, to reach out. Um, that's ntitman at gmail.com.
1: That's awesome. Uh, I'll make sure to put all those links uh, in the show notes below so that our listeners can get there easily. Thanks so much for coming on, Nick. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and the insights that you shared and i wish you happy investing
0: i appreciate it prashant thank you so much for having me on uh hopefully the audience enjoyed it enjoyed this and and learned something and uh really appreciate it i had a ton of
1: fun thanks my man absolutely thank you